G'day, I'm Sean and welcome to the Car Expert Podcast. We are back from India, we're back in the studio and uh, he was so excited because he, he got his Rogan Josh and he's hoping to get another one if he came here. I brought Paul <laughs> along again. How are you, mate? Good. We were well fed. I we love Indian very food. Very well fed. Oh, just, Not Indian think. traffic. but No, or Indian airports, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll gloss over that one. The food was fantastic um, and James has been very curious about it, so we've brought him here this week and he's going to ask us a few questions because he's desperate to know what the best Vindaloo was. I was going to say, I also love Indian food, so I was keen to find out more. <laughs> right, so welcome to the Car Expert Indian Food podcast. Uh, we're going to dive right in. Um, we will talk about our trip to India, but we're going to talk about the new Hyundai Santa Fe first, guys. So uh, they've announced it's coming next year and it's going to drop in a hybrid mode only to start with, which I don't know. I don't know. What do you, how do you guys feel about that? I think it's a great idea on a massive heavy car yeah. to have a small hybrid engine. <laughs> that pretty much sums that one up. <laughs> Yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting move from Hyundai because I know globally they're really focusing on electrification as well as um, starting to wind down on diesel production and development. So I wasn't entirely surprised to see that diesel took a back seat with this new Santa Fe. So far we don't know if a diesel's coming and focusing on the hybrid versions, but to come to Australia only with a hybrid at launch makes me wonder how they're going to go with like supply and whether that drivetrain is suitable because the car's grown and in both in size and weight with this new generation. So I'll be interested to see how it performs on the road because I think the zero to 100 claims like over nine seconds, which isn't particularly quick. And that's probably with nothing in it. Yeah. Um, so it's a 1.6 litre four cylinder engine, 173 kilowatts of power. That's the combined power with the hybrid output. Yeah. So apparently. I mean, you load that up with, with passengers, uh, heaven forbid towing, and I just think it is going to be massively underdone. I haven't driven it yet, obviously, but we have driven the Sorento hybrid and that, uh, especially in plug-in hybrid trim, was just, it was struggling. It, you just constantly had to be up it. And I just don't think that fitting these types of engines to meet a fuel economy outcome really helps anyone that wants to buy one of these as a comfortable family tourer. If you go out into rural Australia, you want to do overtaking and, and that kind of thing, it, it, you just want to know with confidence that when you go for the, for the throttle, you're going to be able to pass a truck or, or some other sort of obstacle fairly quickly without having to be on oncoming traffic for too long. Well, on the Sorento, we actually did a drive from Adelaide to Sydney last year where we had a, just a standard hybrid Sorento and it was terrible on fuel, had no power and we had that loaded up. It was myself and Igor and all of our camera gear and I think two spare tyres, mm. if I remember correctly. It was fairly loaded. And it, it was nine to 10 litres per 100 k's, which is not what you want out of a hybrid and, and not what you want when you're doing, you know, sort of 1500 kilometres. So, I don't know, James, I know we, we were discussing this before we started filming a little bit, but you had you you said that Hyundai had some thoughts about where this car actually belongs. Yeah, so I think the what Hyundai and Kia tend to do lately with their SUVs is to offer two drivetrain options that sort of suit different environments. So overseas at the moment, the Santa Fe also comes with a two and a half litre turbocharged petrol engine, which would probably be a better tourer or, you know, more performance oriented option. Whereas the hybrid, you know, you think of um, Korean traffic or traffic in most major cities around other parts of the world and it's you know very low speeds where this hybrid system can do its best work you know traveling between 40 and 60 k's an hour can rely on electrical power more often use less fuel um, but yeah in markets like Australia where we have wide open spaces long highways that kind of thing it just may not be quite enough for people who perhaps venture rurally often. It might be okay I mean look if, uh, if you look at the typical family who's going to be driving this in and around the city where the majority of Australian population is, average Australian travels, what, 40 kilometres a day. If you're doing one road trip a year, two road trips a year, it's probably not going to be the end of the world. Um, but, you know, I just throw my mind back to when I was a kid. We did uh, drives to Sydney, Brisbane, 
very often. This was before air travel. We were poor, blah, blah, blah. Um, and actually... Uh, to, <laughs> sort of history repeats, doesn't yes, it? <laughs> uh, to that point, uh, we did have a Camaro, which was a 1.6 litre, naturally aspirated. Um, it was a little bit more at 1,000 kilowatts. But, um, <laughs> yes. um, but yeah, obviously we did that trip without any problems. But, I mean, you just have to consider the, the use case. And perhaps if you are doing regular road trips or towing or you have lots of kids that you are doing regular road trips with, perhaps this car isn't going to be suitable. But driving in and around the city is probably going to do the job perfectly fine. Now, the looks are one thing that divided a lot of people. I think it looks like an EV9, but the pictures they sent us, and if you're watching this on YouTube, looks you'll like see it now. like an EV9. It, it's got very similar. It's just a big box on wheels, basically. It's got very Who similar. invited this guy? <laughs> very similar design. It's just a big square box they with a bonnet coming nothing out. Nothing alike. They look a lot alike. If you don't, if you maybe don't look at all the other details, perhaps it looks a little bit the same. Yeah. But they're I, just a big square box. They used to be all like round and curvy, the Hyundai's, and now it's just they put a, a brick and then put a bonnet out the front of it, and there you go. That's their. All right, moving car. on. Uh, <laughs> look, I don't like the way that it, I don't like the way the rear looks. I think the rear's a bit. Meh. Front looks fine to me. The side and all that sort of stuff is okay. The interior looks good. Um, yeah, I'm not sold on the back. And actually, if you look at Kia and Hyundai products in general, actually. Whenever you sit them next to each other, I do prefer the Kia version of the Hyundai platform that they're sharing. I just think that, that they are probably just a bit, a little less adventurous on style and you end up with a style, stylish looking product. Uh, Hyundai's gone a bit sort of out there, which I guess they're doing what BMW does. You're creating a reason to talk about the product. Uh, the only problem is with BMW, you've got competitors like Mercedes that are pretty boring with design at the moment and Audi that's been pretty boring as well. So you're talking about a BMW because it's quite interesting and out there. Whereas with Hyundai, you can then talk about the Kia, which is the same platform, similar engines and, and stuff like that, but looks completely normal, I guess, in comparison. Um, so I don't know how well that strategy is going to work longer term. And James, do you know if we have any idea on pricing yet? Is it going to be the typical thing where it's 10 grand more than the last model, you reckon? Uh, well, we at the global launch, they didn't really say anything about pricing. They've given us an indication that there will be multiple hybrid variants at launch and that's about as far as it goes. You could assume that because there's a hybrid drivetrain as standard, it'll probably have a higher starting point because the current hybrid starts around 60K, but the, the lower versions start a bit lower than that. So it'll be interesting to see because obviously, Hyundai is, you know, one of those mainstream volume brands. This car is a, you know, appealing to like a Kluger or, you know, Sorento buyer where their budget starts around the 50 grand point can go a little bit higher than that. So in terms of positioning, we're not so sure. I'm just curious. I haven't looked at the exact numbers, but it looks significantly bigger than the current Santa Fe. Is that right? Yeah, it is bigger. And the third row is margin is not marginally, markedly more yep. spacious. So I think yeah. you'll be able to fit a lot more luggage as well as people more comfortably. So. Yep. Given that is also a factor, it's um, it's a more substantial, you know, vehicle that yeah. almost rivals Palisade on size yeah. now. And EV9, same car. Yeah, same car. Probably is you watch. I'm going to put both those pictures on the screen uh -huh. here to see. Um, does it render the Palisade a bit redundant? with what they're doing with the new Santa Fe, if they're making it that much bigger? I think for, for Palisades, an interesting one, sort of like the Kia Telluride over in the States, it's a very North American focused product that just happens to be sold in other parts of the world. Um, it, may, it may mean that with the next generation Palisade, we see a, a, a go even bigger, with departure from design. Santa Fe and Sorento for um, Hyundai and Kia respectively are global flagships. So in Europe, that's the biggest car they sell. And you know you can see with the design that they're clearly going for like Land Rover and some of those other luxury brands, but probably at a lower price point. Uh, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they align side by side. Fair enough. Well, speaking of brands that are coming for Land Rover, uh, Paul and I just got back from India after visiting Mahindra, uh, which is 
Well, it's, I'm not going to say the word because we're not meant to say the word, but it's kind of like they make cars that are meant to rival the Land Rovers in uh, the Defender and stuff like that with the Mahindra Scorpio. Uh, they've got the XUV 700, which is a much more city-focused um, SUV, and they've got the Mahindra Tar, which uh, we don't get here, but we did drive. So, Paul, I'm going to hand it over to you. Mm. Um, let's We'll save the food chat for later, but let's talk a little bit about the cars that we saw while we were there. Yeah, look, uh, Mahindra paid for us to go over, so they paid for our flights and accommodation. And it's actually the same with all of the car launches we do overseas. It'll be prohibited, I'll try that in English, it'll be prohibitively too expensive for us to pay uh, to go to every single one of these. We do maybe five or six international launches a month and the cost of that would be too high. So, so just to preface all of that, they uh, paid for our, our trip and accommodation. Um, and obviously that doesn't change the outcome of, of uh, you know, our trip or what we witnessed, but I, I was actually quite impressed with it all from the point of view that Mahindra is a brand that up until recently hasn't really had much traction in Australia. It's a brand that uh, I guess if you're from India, you know very well Mahindra and Mahindra, the actual parent company is massive. It is one of the world's biggest companies, uh, trillions of dollars of, of uh, trade each year. It is huge. And uh, if you're into farm equipment, Sean, I know you are, uh, Mahindra does tractors, they do a lot of ag. Uh, so they are they are big in that world, but cars in Australia, they're, they're not exactly big. So. It was quite insightful for us because we got to see behind the, the curtain of everything they have coming. They have a stack of electric vehicles coming. Uh, they have a global pickup coming, which is due to rival things like the Hilux and the Ranger. So there is a lot going on there and being able to tour their, their research facility where everything is currently happening was really eye-opening for me. They are hiring people like it's going out of fashion. Um, so I'm pretty excited by that. You saw a lot of the stuff that I saw. Um, and you, you have also been to a lot of these manufacturing operations. What did you think about the hive of activity that was going on there? Well, it was interesting. So we were in Chennai, which is in southern India, and basically that, they have a place called Mahindra World City, which I guess is the Mahindra version of Toyota City in Japan. Mm. Um, so it's all their R&D facility, and then we went to their proving ground. So we didn't actually see any manufacturing, but, I mean... I'm, I would withhold a bit of comment about the manufacturing because I don't know what they're doing, but what they're doing in terms of the R&D there is out of this world. Like, I did not expect to see that there. It is on par with what you would see Ford were doing here back in the day, what you'd see Volkswagen are doing. But I do find it interesting because we were talking to them, they buy a lot of their parts in to build the cars. And I guess it's kind of like that Mac versus PC thing. These guys are building PCs with just, mm. they buy in all the components and sticking yeah. together and it works. But that seems to be how they keep the cost down a lot on these cars as well, whereas... A Ford is building yeah. all parts in-house, right? It's actually a clever way to do it. So they get a lot of parts from tier one suppliers. They do some of the stuff on their own. So engines, they do themselves. Uh, they do the manual transmissions themselves. But the auto, for example, is an ASIN gearbox. Um, as they move into electric vehicles, they've signed a partnership with Volkswagen. So they'll be using some Volkswagen motors. Uh, they use BYD, or they will use BYD battery cells for some of their electric vehicles as well. And it's, it's a clever way to do it because you are reducing the cost significantly by having all of this stuff that's off the shelf. And their aim is to come to Australia with pricing that, that competes with Chinese brands and delivers value without that expense. And uh, we also then got to tour their uh, proving ground as well, where basically it's an SUV proving ground. It is enormous. And it's just the scale of everything that was happening there, just for them to be able to secure us time to drive in their off-road track and also their, their on-road high-speed circuit. 
it took a lot of work. And then as soon as we were done, they were back into all the development work they were working on. So, so that side of things is, is quite exciting. Just specifically, though, uh, some of the things I have coming in and that we can touch on. So Global Pickup, due mid-2026, they want to meet uh, a cutoff for emissions uh, and, and June 2026, it has to be on sale by. Uh, they are targeting five-star safety for all of their vehicles. So both the Scorpio and the uh, XUV700 both have five-star uh, global NCAP ratings. Uh, then you move on to things like um, TAR, which is due for an update. Uh, they're releasing a five-door version of that. They have five EVs coming, including an E version of a TAR. Um, uh, they've got an electric version of the XUV coming. They really are going to town on all of this stuff. And it is all outside of the TAR coming to Australia. Which is a real shame that we're not getting tar here because that was... We've got a review going live on YouTube of the tar later this week, so make sure you subscribe on the channel for that. And we do actually have uh, an off-road review of the Mahindra we did at the... The Scorpio, Proving, yeah. Uh, the Scorpio, sorry, yes, the Mahindra Scorpio that we did at the Proving Ground. And just on the Proving Ground, it it's about a fifth of the size of our Proving Ground, but it kind of puts ours to shame. We've really got to work on our off-road track, I think, based oh, yeah. on that. That off-road track was unreal. So they basically had this off-road facility for owners and prospective owners to drive vehicles on, and predominantly it was for tar. And what they would do is, as part of the tar development process, they had something like 20 prototype vehicles that were due to be crushed. They couldn't sell them. But what they said was, well, we're gonna give these vehicles to customers so they can kick the absolute crap out of them on the course. If they roll, if they <laughs> destroy the cars, we're, we're gonna crush it anyway. So we drive out onto this course, and I've done a fair bit of off-roading. I'm no expert off-roader, but I've done a fair bit, and I understand the basics of what, what it is. Some of the terrain they had here was insane. It was terrain that I would want to have a completely modified vehicle to do. Um, so they took basically the, the slightly less hardcore terrain for us to do in the Scorpio, and even that, some of the moguls they had, I thought the car was going to roll. Like, it had so much angle on it. Um, so that, that was pretty cool. It, it did highlight, though, one of the, the things that I really dislike about the Scorpio, though, which is the uh, self-locking rear diff. It's one of those systems where it just waits for a rotational difference between the rear axle and then it locks. Um, the problem with that is it's unpredictable. And if you get to a situation where you apply more throttle and the car's you know, half in the air like it was for us, you can get the rear diff to lock and it might kick sideways if you're on uh, sort of muddy terrain. So my understanding is they're working on a switchable rear diff lock that allows you to just run through it. Um, so yeah, look, I was, I was quite impressed with all of that. Their research and development stuff, uh, they're very bullish on, on export markets like Australia and South Africa, both right-hand drive markets. So I think over the next sort of five to 10 years that they want to be a household name in Australia, this is what they're saying. I think we're gonna see a whole lot more Mahindras on the road here. And I do wanna give uh, a little bit of credit to them because us and South Africa, they said, are their two biggest export markets they're looking at. And the testing, they do a lot of testing in Australia and a lot of testing in New Zealand. So, you know, you don't see that with a lot of these Chinese brands that are bringing out cars here. So I think their commitment to Australia is really high and that's probably why the ride on those cars is quite good here. So James, you've driven the vehicles here in Australia. So what are your thoughts on it from an Australian perspective, I guess? I think Mahindra is a really interesting company because obviously the Chinese brands have gotten a lot of thunder lately for you know proliferating in the market, bring a lot of products. But I think Mahindra has a bit of a niche where it goes for that more rugged, you know, adventurous lifestyle sort of customer that perhaps the Chinese brands, other than maybe GWM with a tank, haven't really touched 
touched into. Also the fact you have Mahindra has such a big name, as you say, in the agricultural world with tractors and equipment and things like that. They're, they're proven to be reliable and the Indian market's nothing to sneeze at. The conditions that they have there are very, very harsh, as you guys <laughs> yes. would know. I've not experienced it, yep. but you know, I was just sweating looking at the vision from you guys <laughs> being there. That was hot, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I'm really interested to see where they go. And like you say, they've got big plans. They've got really big investment R&D programs and things like that. So hopefully this just creates more competition and for the consumer having more choice, more competition and, you know, better pricing, that can only be a good thing. Yeah, I mean, some of the, the, the stuff that we saw in terms of the way they treat their vehicles, they, they are tools of trade and they will load a vehicle up with a lot of people and this vehicle will be used day in, day out for hard work. You get conditions from uh, like Chennai where we were, where it was hot and humid and we're on this off-road course where it's just ridiculously hot outside to conditions where it's freezing, mountainous, uh, they just need to be dependable and reliable. And I think that uh, with the Chinese brands, I'm sure they are dependable and reliable as well, but these guys have been doing this for a long time and their core focus has always, ahead of uh, you know style and tech and all that sort of stuff, their core focus has always been uh, dependability and reliability. And, and that was actually another thing as well. We got to tour some of their tech facilities and, and some of the systems they have coming for infotainment. Uh, it, it is pretty pretty out there. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to see how it all goes for them. Uh, it was a really sort of valuable trip for me to, to, to get inside into that. We've got a couple of videos coming out uh, as well. And um, let us know if you're watching this. Do you want to see the, the tar come to Australia? Because I know a lot of people uh, keep going, let's bring the tar because it is uh, it starts at 20 grand over there. That's a direct conversion to Aussie dollars. Yeah. So I mean, what they, would an Australian cost be? Well, like? they also have a 28% GST on yeah, cars. Right. So, so it, you could be, it could be under 30 grand if it came here, yeah. like realistically. Yeah. So there you go. Why would you not want to bleep that is under 30 grand? <laughs> that seems, yeah, it's a, it's a real shame due to certain reasons from a certain Italian-owned brand that it's not here. But anyway, we got to drive it. Check out our review. Uh, leave a comment. Let us know what you think of it. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, the car this week that we're curious about, Nissan Qashqai. Very long wait times on it, up to six months in some cases. Because Paul's our, our special guest this week, James, we'll throw it to him. What would you buy instead of a Nissan Qashqai? Ford Ranger Raptor. I I've been, obvious, <laughs> obvious. I've been talking to a few buyers. They're all cross-shopping that. Yeah, so. that that's only yeah. makes sense. Um, no, look, uh, in all honesty, probably the Kona. Uh, it's, the reason I say that is they have better availability. It's a brand new car, so it's just been released. It means you're getting all the latest bells and whistles. And you have a variety of things to choose from there. You've got normal sort of internal combustion. You've got hybrid got electric, it really has a fair bit of breadth to it. And it's bigger now as well, which was one of my main complaints with the Conan previously. So there you go. And you can get one that looks like a tennis ball. So yes, correct. that's also a, yes. that's a positive. Uh, James, what about you? What would you pick instead of a cash card? I've gone a bit left field this week. I think the, what a shock. Yeah, <laughs> I think the Skoda Karok um, in terms of design and packaging and everything is really similar to the cash card. It sort of um, straddles that small and medium SUV segment um, and is really space efficient. It's a little bit more premium than some of the other stuff like the Conan in terms of the trimmings and how it's presented. And I think um, the way it drives is, is really, really nice. I think it's an underappreciated car in our market as well. And you can get one now for about 40 grand drive away. And even that base car is fairly well specified and, and very efficient. So if you can't get a hybrid, for example, being able to have a really efficient um, combustion petrol car is good too. So I, that's probably my pick. 
Well, if any of those cars interest you, or if there's something else you're considering, leave a comment and let us know. But if you want to get into one of them quicker than you might think you can, head to Google and type in Help Me Car Expert. They'll take you to a site on, uh, on Car Expert that'll help you find a car. We can connect you with a dealer. You can even talk to one of our fantastic in-house consultants. They're based in Brisbane, so you're actually talking to a local when, they, uh, when you do talk to them. They can run you through the whole process and they could probably get you into one of these cars much sooner than you might think for a better deal than you might think. So head to Google, type in Help Me Car Expert. And if you do use the service, leave a comment. Let us know. How was it? So James, this week you were lucky enough to grace the screens of Channel 7 News. <laughs> Normally a job we would reserve for Paul, but because he was busy stuffing his face on a fish curry, you were the man in charge of it. I thought you weren't going to put me on the spot about this. <laughs> <laughs> we're not talking about fish curry. We're talking about uh, Channel 7 asked you to come on because... Uh, as we reported a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, we talked about how the High Court overturned the controversial Victorian EV tax mm -hmm. by saying it's unconstitutional. Now the Victorian government, because they're such good people, has said that we're going to pay it back to some motorists with interest. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so there's still a little bit vague around all the details, but the, the government came out last week to say that on the off the back of that High Court ruling that they would be paying back the levies back to people who had been charged for the EV road user charge. And even though they, they were saying they were being particularly generous by offering people interest for the fact that they've been holding these funds for certain amounts of time. But, you know, there's two years worth of, of road charges that they've been charging some people, not everybody, and they've collected about seven to $10 million worth in that time. So it could take a few months for people to get these this money back, but uh, they're, they're at least committing to paying people back. And you are an EV yes. owner. Have you been paying say, this charge? Did, did you pay it in the first place? Yes, <laughs> um, only the Victorian government would think they've been particularly generous at anything in the past three years or four years. Oh, to be fair, Optus did too. So if you're an EV owner <laughs> and you're an Optus, you're going to get 200, 200 gig of free data and your money back. Extra so, Christmas presents. You know, there's yeah. that. <laughs> Um, yes, so I have been, uh, well, I had, it was weird. I, when I had the Model 3, I paid it because they kept sending it. Um, you had to send them, this is how antiquated the government is, a photo of your odometer and it's, it's a digital odometer. So I'm like, could easily Photoshop that, but didn't, obviously, um, uh, allegedly. And uh, sent, them, sent them all that, paid my thing. It was like 300 bucks or something for the year. Um, but when we switched to the Model Y, they never requested it. So obviously, I never paid it. So I'm owed $300. And at interest rates of um, uh, CPI, inflation, of around 400,000%, um, I'm hoping it'll be a good dividend for me. I feel like the interest rate they're going to offer you is what the bank actually pays you when they pay you interest on your account. Yes. So, <laughs> it's yes. like so $300.08. Yes. <laughs> yes. So look, we did, we did do the math a little while ago. So if you're an EV driver driving around 10,000 k's a year, you're probably paying $200 to $300. Uh, a year in the levy, which is still only about a third of what an uh, internal combustion driver would who drives an equivalent amount just based on the, the fuel levy. But the problem is, as we stated a couple of weeks ago, that this will need to be charged to EV owners at some point, but the way they went about it was all wrong. So I guess the government will never admit that they messed up, but I suppose, what do you guys think? Like, do you think just that- about the EV tax. Yeah. No, no, let's, let's just stick to the EV it's tax. not that kind of podcast. Right. Yeah, right. okay. yeah, we'll talk about the Commonwealth Games on another day. And- Yeah, yeah, uh, all those things. So um, this is a very localised thing to Victoria, obviously, but I guess it does open the door for what may come soon to the rest of Australia. So 
I'll, I'll open up to the floor. What do you guys think? Where do you think we're headed now from this point? Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because some other states like New South Wales and South Australia had already pledged to introduce a similar charge from about 2027, but that's still, you know, years away. And I just really don't understand why it took a high court overrule for the Victorian government to say, this probably isn't the best idea. We're trying to, you know, figure out ways of reducing our emissions as a nation. Transport's a, a key area of that. And instead of actually trying to help people get into better vehicles, we're still just taxing and, and charging people. Now, I'm not saying that you need to give people a free ride, but considering we're already so limited for options here as it is, and they had a levy for like, uh, an incentive for like 12 months. Oh, I'm just gonna challenge you on that. Getting into an incentive to get into better vehicles. Why is an EV a better vehicle? Well, so yeah, that's the thing. It depends on who you're talking to. Well, yeah. a, a less emitting vehicle. Let's right. let's be a bit more clear on that. Um, you know, I don't understand why we haven't been aligned with Europe for the longest time or other developed markets that have, you know, fuel standards, efficiency standards or whatever. It doesn't necessarily work for everybody. Sometimes it drives the cost of product up. But it just seems to be such a disjointed approach to it. And the fact that our federal government is also really delayed in actually bringing in these things as well. It was just announced the other day that our fuel efficiency standards could be set back six to 12 months which is just absurd. Given the 50 years they're already behind. Well, exactly right. <laughs> you know, we're still on Euro 5 emission standards, which came into effect in Europe 10 years ago. They're about to go into Euro 7. And, you know, there are so many people just saying, you know, electric is tomorrow and we're going to jump, you know, leapfrog over the process between pure combustion and that. It just seems really, really poorly thought yeah, out. I, I just think there's, there's multiple, multiple issues here. So if we tackle the road tax, I completely agree that everyone should just pay the same. So you shouldn't have to pay a fuel excise, you shouldn't have to pay an EV road user charge, you should just pay a dollar per kilometre charge, cents per kilometre, whatever you want to call it, and then the fuel excise needs to go. That way it's fair for everyone. If you want to drive an EV, because you can afford it, whatever, you go do that. But you shouldn't have a system where an electric vehicle driver who is paying for a vehicle that is comparatively more expensive than an internal combustion car getting a free ride because the person who has to drive 80Ks a day to go to work because they can't afford to live near the city is having to then pay a fuel excise on an older car that's using more fuel. So it's not a fair system. Um, I also just, if, if you just look at this more broadly, uh, we're, we're constantly trying to push people to electric vehicles, but globally we're seeing the demand is starting to taper off. Uh, there's an announcement by Sixt and Hertz that electric vehicles are significantly more expensive uh, to insure and also depreciate more with the constant chopping and changing of prices. So there needs to be a whole lot more stability in that segment. Manufacturers are getting quite greedy with the pricing of electric vehicles as well. And as a result of that, they're trying to push up internal combustion cars so that the, the leap between the two is a little more gradual. So what we're seeing at the moment is car manufacturers earning a lot of money, higher margins on internal combustion cars, and electric vehicles really only being affordable for a select portion of Australians. So uh, there, there is just a lot of work that needs to be done here. This is one of those small things where the government's tried to cash in on something they obviously weren't meant to cash in on. Um, but I think there needs to be something at the federal level that applies to all states, and that way it is fair for all states as well. Because part of the lunacy with this was, part of the lunacy with this was, if I drove across the border into New South Wales, I'd still be paying the tax. If I drove our Tesla to the proving ground so we could film some content on a private road, I had to fill in this lengthy form for the mileage I drove on a private road to not have to pay the tax. It's just so stupid on so many levels, but something needs to be done. Yeah, so look, 
if you are uh, a policymaker and you have a great idea as to how we can do this better, leave a comment and let us know because it is it is a fickle thing. And I, I agree with your idea that we all just pay the same per kilometre thing and based on how you travel. That being said, to throw a spanner into the works on that, if you drive a Kia Rio compared to someone who drives a two and a half tonne mm -hmm. EV9, should you still be paying the same per kilometre value or should it be a weight-based thing as well? Do you think we bring that into it? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good point. Electric vehicles are comparatively heavier. So in essence, they're doing more damage to the roads, which costs more money to fix, which ironically creates more environmental issues for the big diesel belching trucks that go and fix the roads. Well, but that was um, what the levy, the fuel levy is meant to be yeah. for, right? Is to, to maintain roads and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, Well, partially. Allegedly. Um, but also <laughs> the, that levy was used for things like um, hospitals, a number of things, so it, it had quite a good purpose. But yeah, look, I, I think that is something that needs to be factored into it as well. You've seen the quality of roads at the moment. They are absolutely horrific. And any road that has a giant uh, truck on it, um, and in this case, a giant EV, is going to degrade quicker than a road that doesn't uh, if it's not built for it originally, so. But as we discussed last week, the EVs might not be a problem because you won't be able to charge them soon, so you won't be able to drive them anywhere. So. What makes you think you won't be able to charge them? Well, you're not allowed to charge them in hospitals. Oh, and, right. And if we go off our, our comments on last week's uh, yeah. video, uh, last week's podcast, then you know EVs won't be around for very long at all. So. <laughs> we'll see. All right, so look, uh, this is pretty much the end for this week, guys. Thanks. I'm going to thank you, Paul, for coming and joining us. Thanks for having um, me. Thanks for joining me in India. I, I had a great time. I, had, I didn't even get sick once, uh, mostly because I just drank bottled water. So I think that uh, you're living, not living life adventurous enough. I did enjoy. I did enjoy the food though, and I'm normally uh, just a, a burger and chips kind of guy, but that was <laughs> the food was fantastic. Burger and chicken nuggets. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. Getting a beef burger was a little challenging, yeah. but uh, other than that, it was great. We had a great time. Um, James, you were s missed. Yeah, thanks. Can I come next time? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll talk, to, we'll talk to someone and see what we could do. Um, in a couple of weeks, guys, we are going to be wrapping up for the year with a little Christmas special. So what we want to know is uh, write into us, podcast at carexpert.com.au or leave a comment if you're on YouTube. Uh, what is the best car-themed petrol head Christmas gift you've seen? We want to know and we're going to do a special Christmas episode where we show off what we think are the coolest ones. So leave a comment, let us know. Uh, Paul, thanks for coming. James, as always, thanks for being here. We'll be back next week, mostly resuming normal operations. Um, Paul will morph back into Scott and... and uh, yeah, Sorry about that. Yes, <laughs> fortunately or unfortunately, <laughs> depending on which side of the fence you sit on. But thank you everyone for joining us this week and we'll see you.